I think we're good to go. But if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue our study through this very important letter, some believe sermon, to the early church that gives us so much that we need today. And as previously mentioned, the song that we did sing that I requested, uh, it is very much rooted in this passage of scripture, which I hope that if you're already familiar with Hebrews 11, you recognized, and if you didn't, that you will once this message is over. Recently, Amy and I um, watched a movie uh, called Silence. I'll begin by saying that's about three hours of my life I'm never getting back. Um, But if you have not seen this movie, uh, or if you have and somehow forgotten about what it was about, uh, there's a Portuguese Jesuit priest who goes to search for another missionary in Japan back in the 17th century, who as a result of a lot of um, persecution uh, had not been heard from. So he goes and searches for them and so he encounters some Japanese believers who sadly enough were depicted as individuals who were longing for someone for them to confess their sins to because it had been so long that they'd been able to confess their sins to someone and uh, they were just longing for someone to give them a trinket so that they could have a reminder of the church uh, and that they were willing to, to risk their lives, literally, for this faith. And the story presents this Jesuit priest as someone who sees the ups and downs of missionary work in the midst of all of this persecution, but yet at times will find himself asking God to speak to him, to, to, to prove that what he is doing is worthwhile. While not giving away the ending of the movie, the sad story is that there was a longing to hear from God through all of this. And as I was enduring this movie, all I could think about, do you not have the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews gives us information that will show that our unwavering faith in the completed and satisfying work of Jesus will see us endure all things until we receive our eternal reward in Christ. You see, the book of Hebrews is written during a time in which there were people literally being placed in jail for their faith. There were those as Tim mentioned a couple of weeks ago in the previous message of those who were joyful to participate in just simply identifying with them by serving them while they were yet in prison, risking their own life, giving up their own comfort and conveniences so that they could minister to the brethren and sisters in Christ. And so when we come to this very familiar passage of Scripture, concerning faith, we need to keep that context in mind. That this chapter is not secluded from all other texts in Scripture, or particularly in this letter or sermon to the church, to somehow all of a sudden now, well, let me tell you what faith is, generally speaking. But rather, this is what faith is in your specific situation in which you will suffer persecution, in which you will reject this world, in which you will be rejected by this world, in which you will be longing for something different than this world. This is what faith looks like. So as we look at chapter 11 together, let's keep in mind that as the days get closer and closer to Jesus' return, of which we are to be confident of based on the previous portions of this letter. Let us look at it in terms of the world in which we live that presents danger for us. Maybe not in this country yet, but there are those who are living out their faith in very difficult situations that we just plainly can't relate to. 
So I trust that today's message will prepare us and equip us, that it will encourage us, and that it will instruct us on how we should live by faith. And in order to do so, let's ask God for help. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, that you have not left us to wander through this world alone, to try to figure it out, to try to hope for some understanding that will give us motivation to get up every day. But Lord, you've given us your word, and we come now, Lord, to look at your word, which is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide even the difference between our soul and our spirit. It's able to get to the quick of our life, to even the, the, the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. It's able to feed us and to substantiate our faith. So we come, Lord, humbly to you today, knowing that we need you to speak to us through your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. We thank you that you have not left us alone. And so, Lord, now we, we trust that you will meet our need today as we study, as you build up our faith in what Christ has done and who Christ is, and who we will be forever because of Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. In the previous chapter, in chapter 10, we were reminded of what Habakkuk, the prophet, had written about centuries before the book of Hebrews was written, in which he says, For yet in a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay, speaking of the Lord. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. It goes without saying that this was said before we come to chapter 11 to remind us of the importance of faith. Not living by faith, that is to shrink back or to deny or decline from living by faith, will lead us to destruction. The Lord will not find favor. The Lord will not be able to bless. The Lord will not be pleased if we shrink back from living in faith. And this is not the first warning. There were warnings earlier. But as we come to verse 1 of chapter 11, we see now faith, this, this thing that we are to live by, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, we have two words here that we need some clarification on, even though, again, I, I understand that most of you, if not all of you, have heard this many, many times. But just to remind us that when we talk about the substance that faith is, that the, the word is a compound word that literally means to stand underneath. In other words, faith is the substance or the thing that supports the things that we hope for. And, and Tim did a wonderful job distinguishing what Christian hope is. It's not some aspiration that things will work out, but it's a, it's a confidence. And faith is that confidence or the support for that hope that we have. And the second word here is evidence. Evidence of things not seen. Evidence just simply being a, a proof, a conviction, as the New American Standard translates it. A conviction of things not seen. It's not hoping or, or not knowing that something really is there. You just haven't seen it. And you hope it's there, but you know it's there. You haven't seen it. Uh, th there are a lot of things in, in just general life that even the so-called atheist would say exist, even though they haven't seen it. It's helpful for us to understand that this word faith is the, is the noun form of the action to believe. In other words, the foundation upon which we act. Uh, in our new members class, we, we go over with potential members of, of a statement of faith. We could simply say that this is a statement about what we believe. It's the same thing. Faith is just simply what it is that we're doing. We're, we're believing. Uh, it's the, again, it's the substance or it's the support of our hope. It's the evidence of things that while we haven't seen them, we're convicted. We're convinced of the fact that they're there. 
So this faith that the righteous lives by is the support of what we hope for, the evidence of what we haven't seen but we know is there. For by it, the men of old gain approval. So today we want to look at our faith and, and everything that it matters. And everything is, most of the time when we think about what we place our faith in, oftentimes it will be grounded in what we have experienced in life. If you were behind the steering wheel today, on your way from your house to the church building, you exhibited an immense amount of faith. You had faith in the fact that based on previous experience that your tires would not roll off the car as you were driving down the road. Now you might not have thought about it, but that's just how strong your faith is. You exhibited a great amount of faith in your fellow man. That you had faith that they would stay on their side of the yellow line as you drove smoothly, as probably able to maybe even text in your car knowing that the other driver was not going to get in your way. But you have faith that when someone comes to the stoplight down here at Gumtree, that when it's red, going north to south, that they weren't going to clobber you as you were making your way from west going back up north. Right? You have faith. And it's all based on the fact that, well, most of the time, it's always worked that way. Now, even for those of us who have may have been involved in an auto accident before, that may shake your faith for just a moment, but you know what? It's not long before you believe that, well, everybody else is going to drive the way they're supposed to, and so we live by faith. Now, you've seen those things, but you haven't seen the next car. Now, I don't want to get anybody upset on your way to lunch today thinking, well, Mark just really made me uncomfortable. I don't even want to drive. Because can I really depend on the other driver to do what they're supposed to do? But this is just one example that while our previous experience leads us to our future faith, there are some things that are not so. That we have to take someone's word for it. We may have to trust somebody that we've never met before who's giving us some instruction about what we are to do. And there's a sense of trust. There's a sense of, of faith. In other words, we believe them. And our life follows through with what we believe. Our faith in God is, is very similar. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 tells us, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. In other words, Paul is telling the Romans that the reason why we have the Old Testament is so that we can remember what God did for His people and that we would be built up in our faith and that we would hope on what God has promised based on the promises that He has fulfilled and the faithfulness that He has performed in the past. Right? So we're not blindly going through as Christians saying, well, somebody told me that there's a Jesus who's going to come, but... That there's actually something to believe in. Our, our scripture reading from our worship guide today, from Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His needs among the people, sing to Him and praise to Him, tell of all His wondrous works. Why do we do that? Well, number one, we're making God big. We're, we're making something of God. But why do we do that? So that we can encourage one another that when we leave this place that we're reminded of just how faithful God has always been and He's promised to be faithful to the end and so we can trust Him. Right? So, the just, the righteous one, will be one who lives by faith. Now what does this faith look like? Well, first of all, you're going to believe that God is. You have to go down to verse 6 now. Where we see without faith, it is impossible. Impossible. And think just for a moment what that means. Impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. If you want to be one who lives by faith, Number one, you have to believe that God is. If you look at verse 3 there, the writer of Hebrews gives us one of the easiest fixations that we can have on the existence of God and that by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God. He created it. 
That's the reason why one of the easiest ways to prove evidence of God's existence, not, not to prove anything, but just to give it evidence that God exists, is to look at creation. That's the reason why it boggles my mind that there are so many people who call themselves Christians who reject creation. Because they, would, they have more faith in what a scientist, pseudo-scientist, who's really not looking at the evidence, who's just simply postulating ideas about how everything got to be. It boggles my mind because if anything tangible can help us as human beings realize that there is a God, that God exists, just look around you. Look at yourself. Think about your body, the intricacies of your body. Think about the enormity of the universe. Think about everything that just happens to work out just right. That's evidence that there is a greater being, that there is a God who designed it. My watch, I know you realize I probably don't pay much attention to it, but my watch that I wear on my arm did not assemble itself. And if I waited a gazillion years, the chances of it ever assembling itself together apart from nothing is impossible. There's a designer. We have to believe that God is if we want to live by faith. The King James uses some interesting terms. That the world's were framed by him. Framed. I, I just love the, the picture that, that, that he puts everything in order and he, and he structures everything to be in its place. He's, he's framed it all together. And he's not just simply talking about the world in which we are you know, spinning around the earth. He's talking about the, the, the ages God has created. Everything that we can... Conceive in time, God has created it all. And if, the, if we're going to be the just, if we're going to live by faith, we first of all have to believe that God is. I know that seems very simple. I know that seems very basic. But that is the very heart of the rejecting person to God. To just try to explain God's existence away. And we live in a world that through humanism, has done just exactly that. They in their own hearts and their own minds have suppressed the truth in their unrighteousness in rejecting that there is even a God there. They've denied His existence. It doesn't change things. God's still there and that's where we start. The second thing we do if we want to live by faith is that we believe that God rewards. Now this is a huge step. This is one reason why people don't want to acknowledge the existence of God because then they have to come in terms with someone who's going to reward which also implies that there is judgment if there's a God who rewards there's a God who's making an analysis of what's being done if there's a God who rewards there's someone who values something greater than something else and ultimately that requires us to understand this God who rewards will hold us accountable as God should. If we go back to chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This is a God, this requires trust in a God who in his wisdom and power works all things together for our good and our last session of going through the book Knowing God, J.I. Packer which I really encourage you to join us before we're finished with it uh, we talked about that it's just how significant it is for us to acknowledge that God is not just wise or just all powerful but that he's both so that it all works together for his glory and for our good so we believe that God rewards as chapter 11, verse 6 tells us, that God, he believes that God exists and that God rewards, but the third thing, that we believe that God rewards the diligent seeker. 
And without faith it is possible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Other translations include that term, diligently seek him, which I think is important. Because this is not just a fumbling around, seeking, well, whatever I come across, I'm going to get it. But somebody who's actually looking for something specific. And that's what I'd like to spend the rest of our time talking about. If we believe that God rewards the diligent, diligent seeker, what determines what a diligent seeker is? Well, the first thing, if you look down in verse 13, it says about all of these individuals who were living by faith, all of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them afar off and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. One, way, one thing that we see about this diligent seeker is one who values the best reward. They had options. The individuals that the writer of Hebrews has alluded to up until this point in verse 13, all of those individuals had options. But they were seeking a reward that was best. That which God promised. Down in verse 26 when we're talking about Moses. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater than what? Than all that Egypt could afford him. He chose the best reward. That's what a diligent seeker in God will do. They will seek the greatest reward or the best reward. John Piper, uh, in a book, Future Grace, which I would encourage you to read if you want to have a, just an incredible, better, clear understanding of what Hebrews 11 is all about. I would encourage you to read this book. It's, it's pretty thick, but it's divided up into 31 chapters. So if you were so ambitious to make it part of, I know we've got the prayer guide coming up with the state convention and we've got the Bible reading plan and we've got a lot of things. But if, you, if you're ambitious enough, this book is divided up in 31 chapters. So if you were wanting to go through it once a day in a month, you could you get a really good understanding of God's grace and why we need it forever. But in this book, John Piper states, our corrupt nature poses a threat to seeking the best reward. No one sins out of duty. We sin because we want to. Sin promises happiness. And we buy the lie. The penalty of sin must be paid for by the righteousness of Christ. And the power of sin must be broken by banking on the promises of Christ. You see, it's not just so easy. Well, I believe God exists, and I believe He's a rewarder, and I believe that God rewards those who diligently seek Him, so let's go seek Him. Well, you must determine in your heart that you're going to seek that which is best if you're going to seek after God. And the only way you're going to be to seek after best is to deal with that which keeps you, naturally speaking, from pursuing it on your own. And that is sin. The author of Hebrews first mentions the promise in verse Chapter 4, verse 1, as he exhorts, While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. There is a danger that we will not reach the rest that God offers us. If we're not seeking the best reward, we will let it go unclaimed. And we will have only ourselves to, to, to blame for it. And we will suffer for all of eternity having rejected God because we just did not seek the best reward. And I call upon you today that while you have this offer today to enter into His rest, do not fall short. Do not seek something lesser than the best reward that God promises you. He continues on in chapter 6 as he says, Each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's not an easy choice. It's not a choice that you can make on your own. We would settle for what sin promises us. We would settle to be disappointed over and over and over again, seeking to hopelessly find some happiness in, in, in this pursuit of sin. But that's not living by faith. 
Living by faith exalts us to seek after a greater, best reward. He continues on, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That curtain we understand through our study of Hebrews is what Jesus Christ broke through as our great high priest. Gaining us access directly to God. We don't need a Jesuit priest to confess our sins. We don't need a priest to be able to, to, to gain access to God. We have it through Christ. It's a promise that God makes that anchors our souls that for the rest of our life, no matter what we go through, we know that God's going to be faithful. And we will enter into His rest and forever we will be with Him. There are a few passages of Scripture just to remind you of in which the Apostle Paul celebrates this promise to Abraham that's provided through Christ. Romans chapter 4. Verses 13 through 18. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void if it's through the law. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be, so shall we be. To those who believe in Christ through faith, we are the descendants of Abraham, not biologically, but through the Spirit, because we live by faith. Not because we accomplished a certain standard or a set of laws. Not because we did this do and don't list and we checked all the boxes off completely. It's only through faith so that it can be said by grace alone we have access to the Father through Christ. Ephesians 3, Paul says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in any other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. How? Through faith. The just shall live by faith. And it's a faith that is shared with us incredibly through Abraham, though we do not know Abraham, though we're not related biologically to Abraham, we are his descendants by faith. Galatians 3, he goes on, but the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to promise. God has given us a promise through Christ. Part filled through Abraham. But he was just a recipient of the promise himself. We just become his descendants when we by faith lay claim to that same promise. Speaking of the promises that that God makes to us that, that should cause us to want to desire the, the best things. J.C. Ryle, in one of his books about holiness, J.C. Ryle is a good old, just strong preacher. Read his sermons and you may not want to go to the end because they're really strong and hard, but good. But in, re in reference to God's promises, he says this, God is continually holding out inducements to man to listen to him, to obey him, and serve him. Throughout God's word, he just keeps doing that. He has shown his perfect knowledge of human nature by spreading over the book, that is the Bible, a perfect wealth of promises suitable to every kind of experience in every condition of life. The subject is almost inexhaustible. There is hardly a step in a man's life from childhood to old age, hardly any position in which man can be placed for which the Bible has not held out encouragement to everyone who desires to do the right, do right in the sight of God. 
There are shalls and wills in God's treasury for every condition about God's infinite mercy and compassion, about His readiness to receive all who repent and believe, about His willingness to forgive, pardon, and absolve the chief of sinners, about His power to change hearts and alter our corrupt nature. About all these things, there is an abundant supply of promises in the Word. There's promises out there that God just wishes that you would believe. That are for your good. That meet you wherever you're at. To whatever you face in this life, there is a promise, there is an encouragement, there is a welcome, there is a solution. Ultimately, when we think about our sin, there is no greater promise of hope that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and that He has raised from the dead so that whoever calls upon the name of Jesus Christ, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. There is a promise that God is making. And it's not enough just to believe that there's a God. There's not just enough to believe that God is a rewarder, but that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, and the one who seeks Him is looking for the best reward. If you're seeking after the true God of the Scriptures, you're not looking for anything less than best. And by God's grace, that's exactly, that's exactly what He offers every one of us. Thomas Chalmers suggests that there are two ways to overcome the allurement because, again, I already mentioned that the reason why we don't pursue those things naturally is because of us. It's sin. So Thomas Chalmers suggests two options. Well, one, we could just simply say, you know what, all of that sinfulness is just bad and I just want to resist all of it and I'm just going to try to abstain from it. I'm just going to try to live apart from all of my selfish inclinations. I'm going to try to disregard myself and all my decisions. I'm just going to get rid of self. But he says there's a better option. And that is to totally lose yourself. That's my words. That you should find something that is completely much more worthy of your affections. That you should see the promises of God is so much better than anything that I could want for myself. Anything that I would just clumsily seek after just to appeal to my senses for just a moment. God has offered me so much more. I should lose myself in that. That a career as a professional athlete or to be the best parent or to find out how I can make the most money or to figure out how I can make everybody like me or to become the most powerful person in the world or all of these different things that we can try to attain are nothing compared to the promises that God has given us in His Word. And if we believe that God is is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that we will seek that best reward. The second thing we'll do is endure with confidence. As we looked at earlier, back, look in chapter 10. You're going to say, well, Mark, you're spending more time in chapter 10 than you spend in chapter 11 so far. That's okay. In chapter 10, verse 35, he says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not to be, the, be not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. We have to endure. In verse 13, the writer of Hebrews says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but they endured to the end. Verse 39, he says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They endured to the end because they had the promise in mind. They didn't obtain the promise to have endurance. They endured so they could obtain the, the promise. Think of it this way. And I'm kind of scared to do this because of my own weaknesses. But think about how we obtain things in this world. Now some of you, Bless your souls. You, you grew up in a time where things were tough and the last thing in the world you would ever sign up for is a credit card. Because you remember a day, whether it was you or maybe your parents talked about a day in which, you know what, that will get you in trouble. It's nothing. It's a pit. It's going to get you in trouble. It's destruction. Don't do it. Don't use a credit card for anything. And then some of us have grown into a world in which it's, you know, you have to tell people you don't want one to keep from getting one. But what does a credit card do for you? A credit card enables you to get something now 
that you can't afford now, right? Tim was mentioning last week, made a statement that uh, getting what we want when we want is more judgment than it is a blessing. That's convicting to me. However, that's not, this is not a financial sermon. This is not Dave Ramsey, you know, un, you know, unleashed or anything like that. But just understanding the concept of what we're willing to do to get something now that we can't afford to have now. Now again, most of us live in a house, and if you live in a house, I would love to talk with you over lunch if you just, when you bought your house, you just laid down some cash and said, hey, I like that house, I want to buy it. Didn't need the bank. I just went into my bank account, wrote a check. There it is. Own the house. I'd love to talk to you because I'd like to know how you did that without selling another house that you had to take out a loan for. But most of us can relate to the mortgage process and and how you set yourself up. Well, it's reasonable to do this. I mean, in 30 years, 15 years, 20 years, 10 years, whatever you do. I wanted to accumulate something that's really big, something that's necessary to some degree, something that fulfills the need that I have, and I can reasonably think that I'm going to pay this off in a certain amount of time with no great op, you know, obstacle. And so we set ourselves on a course to, to do what? Get something today that we didn't have. Now, I realize that if I'm going to live the letter of that law, I'm going to be living in my car that is paid for uh, until I can accumulate enough money to buy enough plywood to, to build something and then I'm going to be living like we started out in a trailer 12 by 50 um, for five years of our life. Nothing wrong with any of that but you know what we could afford that's what we afforded. We could do. I translate that into your spiritual life. How many things do we insist on God giving us, even in spiritual terms? It's, it's a noble thing. Lord, I want, I want patience. I want patience right now. Where's the credit card for that one? Because I would buy that one right now. That, because it couldn't be any worse than it is now trying to learn patience the real way. Except for all the interest. But think about, God, I wish I knew everything about the Scriptures. I wish I understood every doctrine. I wish I could, I could you know, be apologetic about everything and, and win the argument in the day and convince all the atheists and get all the people who believe the bad theology. I wish I could figure all this out. I wish I could be a strong prayer warrior. I wish I could read my Bible 16 hours a day and then for the other 8 hours be praying. I wish I could do all this stuff right now. Because, God, I just don't feel like I'm saved since I don't know every verse in the Bible. When Pastor Charlie preaches about something, it's the first time I've ever heard it, I feel inadequate. Something's wrong with me. But we live by faith, not by sight. Now hopefully those things will come. Hopefully there will be a day when you can afford the things that you enjoy in life. But we have to endure. And if we we have an, an insistence on having it right now, we're not going to endure just as the movie I was alluding to earlier. Now again, I'm, I'm speaking of somebody that's really easy being far removed from persecution. I haven't had very many things, I really can't think of anything in my life that has ever really tried my faith and my belief in God. Other than my own selfishness and my own willingness just to reject God at a given time for my own convenience. But to those that the author of Hebrews is writing about are people who had life-changing situations that tested their resolve and their trust. Is God there? If God's there, does He reward anybody? Or is He just there watching us mess up? And if He rewards, who does He reward? The diligent seeker? How do I do that? Well, we endure. Because if we don't endure, we will not please God. If we don't please God, then we will find that our faith was not sufficient. Third thing. Not only do we seek the best reward, not only do we endure with confidence, but we also display the appropriate witness. We live by faith. Verse 2 says, For by it the people of old received their in the English Standard Version, it says commendation. And older translations like the King James and others, it says 
a witness. Verse 39 repeats it after listing another group of individuals. All these, though, though commended through their faith, they were commended. In other words, they were identified through their witness. They were commended. They, it wasn't if they did something good and God said, oh boy, you're better than I thought you were. Let me commend you for doing something right. No, it was just that, it, he, that they were demonstrating their authentic faith by living according to God's truth. They were living by faith. And because of their life of faith, they were commended. They say that doesn't, you know, that kind of barks against the whole grace thing, right? Because of their faith, they were commended. Well, that's the reason why in our, in our scripture reading today, we were looking at James chapter 2, because James clears this up for us. If, when he says in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if one says that he has faith but does not have works? And works is not simply working towards salvation. Working is working out your salvation. Can that faith save him without works? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. All those individuals in Hebrews chapter 11 were showing us their faith by what they did. It wasn't what they did gained approval to God. It was because of what they did by faith. God was able to affirm and confirm upon them their living by faith. They are righteous because of their faith. James goes on to say, you believe in God. Well, that's step number one in verse 6, right? You have to believe God is. Well, that's not enough. Demons believe that. Interestingly enough, they know that God's a rewarder and they know that the reason why they're trembling is because this God's going to reward them for their rejection of Him. But James doesn't say that. I just kind of threw that one in there. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Is that what you want to do? So let me ask you. What do your works commend you for doing? Does it commend you for living by faith? Or does it commend you, or I guess condemning would also be a good word for it, because of your insistence upon works? This is a matter of illustration. From time to time as a manager, I have to give hand out discipline to those who work underneath me for not doing their job. We have metrics that they have to, while on the phone, while they're being paid to work, they have to be available to take a phone call for at least 95% of their shift. You say, why don't you do it 100%? I don't know. I, I didn't make the rules. I'd like it 100%, but I'm a legalist, but that's okay. Uh, but they have to have at least 95%. I have a agent who I recently had to present this one because under the dire circumstances that they presented they just lost track of time and they didn't realize that they were away so that instead of being available to take a phone call 95% of their shift they were only available to take a phone call for 41% of their shift by how you lose track of over half of your shift I have you know trouble in my mind figuring that out but in this very serious conversation about his employment I said, I don't think you want to be here. When you have the opportunity to take voluntary time off, you take it every time you get a chance. It's a benefit. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but I'm just saying no more than you have to be here, you're here. And then when you are here, you're not on the phone. But he said, I want to be here. Well, you know what my response to that is. Well, you can't just simply show me that. You actually have to do it. You know, as a Christian... There are a lot of us who are going out in the world saying, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, I believe in God, I believe He's a rewarder, I believe He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But they're not commended. Because their faith is shown through their works. Let that be a lasting question for you, just as thinking about this. Again, what are you being commended for? Now, having looked at all that, and I know our time is late, but we haven't read much of anything in, in Hebrews chapter 11, but I wanted you to have that understanding of what a faith that pleases God looks like so that now as you follow along in chapter 11 as I read, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered, a sac offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he has commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he was, should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events that is yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called up to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as, a far, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and who received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring will be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did not receive him. He did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughters choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on the dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women can receive back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered uh, uh, mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins and sheep of the ske of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Well, that's not fair. <laughs> After all that, they didn't receive the promise. That's a long list. They had works that demonstrated their faith. They endured to the end. They didn't receive the promise. Why? God's wise. God's good. Because God 
had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made complete. I don't know about you folks, but that paints a beautiful picture of God's love for us. I don't know what you're going through. There may miraculously be some way that somebody is listening to this on the internet right now on the other side of the planet that is experiencing persecution that I can't fathom. I don't know. If that's their condition, if my condition is trying to figure out what I'm going to have for lunch this afternoon and that gives me a headache, whatever is in between, there's nothing that this great reward should not cause us to want to endure all the way to the end because God is faithful and He is going to usher all of His people into this promise together. It's going to be Him bringing us all together so that all at the same moment we all taste glory at the same time regardless of our experiences, regardless of when we live, regardless of what we knew, regardless of who we were, what we did. He decided, you know what? This is going to be one big celebration. And everybody is going to get in on it at the same time. And it's going to be worth our while. That's a promise he made. Is that the promise you're holding on to? Or are you, promise, or are you holding on to the promise that your bank account can give you? Or are you holding on to the promise that you think the government can give you? Or are you holding on to a promise that you think somebody that's really strong personality in your life can give you? Or are you holding on and enduring through with the promise that God has given you. The just, they're going to live by faith. That's a life and a faith that pleases God. Let's pray.